0: What up, fellas? This is John of John's Lonely Podcast. Hey, shame on us for not taking advantage of this opportunity to leave you guys a message and let you know uh, how much we really, really enjoy your podcast. Really, really hope you keep it going. Stay strong. Hope you guys have a great holiday season. Black at birth, brown by choice. Peace.
1: Welcome to Black and Brown, a podcast where three black guys get to share their love of bourbon. We talk about current events, we conduct interviews, and good old-fashioned shit-talking. Our hosts, Bill, Anthony, and Delvin... We'll keep you informed on what's going down with that brown.
2: In this episode, we kick it with one of the newest titans in the bourbon game, Brent Elliott, master distiller at Four Roses. Brent tells us about his rise to stardom, gives us some updates on what's going down with the brown at Four Roses, and drops some knowledge for all the bourbon nerds. Okay, grab your favorite Four Roses pour as we chop it up with Brent Elliott. Welcome to the Black and Brown Podcast. I am your man, A. Colbert. Around these parts, I'm known as the The plug. I am joined with my cousin, WH Stevens, also known around this jungle as the Silverback. Yes,
0: sir. How you doing, cousin?
2: <laughs> and this, that cork pop you just this, heard. Not this jungle. The jungle, man. King of the jungle, bro. What is a silverback with hey, a king what of man, the jungle? Let me be? tell you something,
0: man. Charlotte. Charlotte is starting to be a
2: jungle, man. This traffic is stupid. Traffic is ridiculous. It's dumb here. Traffic dumb. is stupid right here no. now, man. And the third leg of the tripod, you heard him with the cork pop. Our man, <laughs> producer. Extraordinaire what? Extraordinaire Oh, extraordinaire Extraordinaire Number one in your program <laughs> Number one in the people's hearts <laughs> People's
1: choice What's the deal, fam? What's going on, man? What's the deal, fam? What's up, fellas? Isn't What's not much,
2: man? Uh, back for another
1: week, brother Man, I'm excited about the guy we got coming in here Yeah,
2: me
0: too
1: because, I mean, we got to spend some time with this dude. Yes, we did. At the Black Bourbon yeah. Run. Wait, well, yeah. tell
2: the people why you're excited. Who's coming to the
1: table? Oh, our guy Brent Elliott. Brent four Elliott. Four Stacks.
2: Four Stacks. Four We just going to take roses. Four Stacks? stacks yeah. four, four Stacks. Four
0: Roses. Four Roses, man. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, the cool thing about that dude, man, because, you know, we were in our group, you know, getting ready for the tour. Mm-hmm. He comes into the back. He didn't come in, like, with fanfare. He kind of just kind of... You know Came into the back And kind of just You know He hit low you with
2: the, He hit with the prince
0: Yes man He kind of low yeah. key You know Just merged into our group He Trojan us Yes right And <laughs> then And because I remember um, uh, The Ellis Villain was like Hey man You know Who, who are you He's like, I'm Brent Elliot He's like Okay you know And then next thing no, you know He turns around He goes to the front Hey I'm Brent In the Messer Distiller He was like Oh I was just talking <laughs> You know it, it was
1: kind of funny man It was kind so, of like So wait 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 a second So like the, I missed my moment Yeah So, uh, so DIY uh, comment. Yes it up. Brent Chad, Elliott yeah, Before he knew who he was didn't know who he was Had Did no know. idea who he was That's hilarious and Dude it
0: was funny And when he told me that story I was like wow that's, But you know That's how cool he is man and, yeah. and and you can see the passion Whenever he was giving us a tour um, You know the passion for the process And the passion for his distillery um, You can I mean it came shining
2: through Yeah yeah, that's dope. yeah that's dope I just know him from the movie Neat Until we met him at Fort Roses Right now I mean like cause fan.
0: The funny thing is Because I was talking Wasn't paying attention and then when I looked up and I saw him, I was like, meat. <laughs> I'm like, meat. <laughs> because I remember, because I'm thinking something seriously. Because, I mean, because, I mean, I mean, you know, I started watching that, that you know, when, whenever I watched the show, I didn't know much about bourbon. And he broke it down. I mean, he literally broke it down. ABC is a bourbon. And I'm, I I will remember that lesson throughout my, my bourbon journey. Because, it. I mean, I know what bourbon, you know, what makes bourbon bourbon, blah, blah, blah. So he kind of mm-hmm. went and he broke it down. It was very simple. You know, barrel corn. You know, just entry proof.
1: Well, yeah. it's funny when we were there. I mean, he broke it down. Fact. Broke like on that down. on the yeah. tour. I mean, we get a private tour with a sure. guy, and you know, we get to go. In yeah. the lab, yeah, and see yeah. Florence flask and beakers, yeah. right? <laughs> but he made it like
2: when you say make it make sense. He made it make sense. Make yeah, it, it make sense, these right? Strains exactly. and yeah. How they got their master? I a mean, denominator. Like, yep. It made you. It made you respect four roses. My bad. Four mm. stacks. Four, four stacks. stacks. A lot better. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> four corners. Yeah. Well, let's bring him to the show. Let's see what you got to say. Yes, yes sir. sir. There he is. Joining us this week on the podcast is Brent Elliott from Four Roses Master Distiller. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was it was a great time. We're glad to have you here. Yeah, man, it's good to see you again, man.
1: I feel like good to see you guys. I feel like we've been in that room that he's in right now. I you mean, think is so? That, is that the room we did the tasting?
3: You know, actually, no. I'm actually at home, Uh-oh. but a lot of these pictures I have <laughs> are some of the same home. pictures from the distillery. Oh, wait. Oh, so, okay.
1: So you, so you fashioned your house to look like the distillery. That's smart, man. I mean, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I should do that. <laughs> that's, that's super dope. <laughs> Talking about bringing your work. Well, I turned the
3: camera around, it would be a different story. This is just kind of my bourbon corner. Oh, that's... everything else is, uh, you know, piles of clothes and dishes and there you and go. signs of life. I this you. is just my, my spot where I do the, uh, the podcast, the interviews and stuff. So oh, it's very, very bourbon-centric so. here.
1: It's pretty, nice. pretty cool he's got a bourbon corner. Yes. You, Brent, you may not know this. I actually have a bourbon room. <laughs> so, that's <laughs> you know. the first I've heard of that. You got a bourbon room? <laughs> I have a bourbon room. And I got a lot of Four Roses in there. So <laughs> Nice, nice.
2: So for Brent, for, for people out there who haven't seen the movie Neat or who've been living under a rock and don't know anything about Four Roses, can you give them just a little bit about your background?
3: Uh, yeah, I uh, grew up in Kentucky, uh, not this side of the state. I grew up in Owensboro, which is about three hours west of here. And you know, growing up in Kentucky, you know, bourbon's always been part of our culture and our heritage, but it's always something that we kind of took for granted. But as I grew older, um, I started to realize, you know, the sense of pride that we all have for you know the spirit that is associated so much with Kentucky. You know, ninety five percent of all the bourbon in the world comes from Kentucky. Right. Right I, right. I went to school. Yeah. People say, you know, yeah, not all of made in Kentucky. All the good bourbon, was made in Kentucky. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shots fire. It's
3: a good sound bite, but I don't know if it's necessarily true. I've, I've tasted some good bourbons from elsewhere, but sounds good. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up in Kentucky, went to school at uh, the university of Kentucky. I majored in chemistry which, you know, looking back, it was perfect. But at the time when I was doing that, I had no idea that I had the opportunity to use it for something like bourbon. Um, But after graduation, you know, I worked several other jobs. And I kind of happened upon this opportunity by chance. I was was living in Tennessee at the time, and I came up and I took a tour of Woodford Reserve on a Saturday. And I got back to Tennessee on Sunday when I – after the tour at Woodford, I was like, this has got to be an industry where they need chemists. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much going on behind the scenes. I was like, this could be perfect for me. And I got back to uh, Tennessee on Sunday, got online, and this is just you know a few years past when I would go buy newspapers to look at the, the ads for, for jobs. So you know, it's just kind of learning the new technology. So I got on Monster.com or some oh, website. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I found a position. It was basically an entry level uh, lab position at Four Roses. But the timing was perfect because it, uh, Four Roses had been out of the country as a bourbon for many years since the fifties. Mm. So we had just come back and we were just starting to really sell in the United States. At the time we were only available in Kentucky. So I didn't even taste Four Roses until the day before my interview. I had to buy a bottle on my way from Tennessee to Kentucky for the interview. So I tried it the night before in the hotel, fell in love with it, went to the distillery, uh, fell in love with the distillery, all the products. The people were fantastic. They had a great vision, they had confidence in their product. And so. It wasn't an easy decision because I had just gotten married, very recently gotten married and just bought a house.
2: Word. Moms ain't trying so to hear that move on. moving. She's not trying to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a anyway. big move.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, moms don't want to hear, I'm going to quit my job and go go make bourbon. <laughs> Wait,
1: your wife didn't take that well?
2: <laughs> no, dog. <laughs> that was not over well at all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it ended up with Four Roses. And then I just kind of grew with the company. You know, I think— uh you know, we were so small when I started, there's a lot of opportunity to pitch in, to learn, to get involved. And so, you know, I just kind of got in very early and, you know, loved the product, loved the people, loved talking to people about it, loved making it, loved every aspect of it. And so naturally, just as we grew, I took on more and more responsibilities until, you know, fast forward to, and that was 2005 when I started. Okay. And then fast forward to 2015, you know, by then, we were in all 50 states. We were selling more bourbon in the U.S. than we were overseas. And so we'd come a long way already. And then the former master distiller, Jim Rutledge, announced his retirement. And they basically called me into president's office and said, You know, Jim's retiring and you're the next master distiller. Wow. Wow. And Wow.
0: So there was no process. I mean, they, they picked you from- No, no, no. He's
2: glossing over yeah, it. it humble. Be, yeah, so he's we, humble. So we're going to come back to yeah, that. Yeah, no, we're going to come back to I'll that one. I'm going to pause there. Yeah. i wait for when he said- Yeah, like, we going to put a pin in that How one. much more money is that going to be? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the price of the brick is going up.
2: price of the brick just Show went up. Show me money. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of we sped through a stop sign right there. Like We like to ask the guests a few questions when they come on. And you kind of went through that a little bit, like I did a little research, and I'm sure the guys have read your bio and stuff and and saw about um, the bourbon you used to drink in college or whatever, but what was that first bourbon that you tasted that really made you fall in love with the spirit and be like, yo, this is the one I want to, you know, dedicate my life to, so to speak?
3: You know, I always have enjoyed bourbon, but I think the real turning point was probably in 1997 Ninety-seven or ninety-eight, okay. And it was the first time I tried Knob Creek, Ooh. and because prior to, you know, <laughs> you go far enough back, you didn't have specialty labels. You didn't have small batches. You right. had single barrels. You just had labels, and you know, I still thought bourbon was fantastic, even before it was marketed in that way, or before there were these this, this variety of, of expressions. And when I saw that, tasted it. And really understood the concept of a more premium, more specialized bourbon. You know, I think the the taste, the concept, it all just kind of came full circle. Like this, this is really this is a new face of bourbon right here. This is yeah. yep. you know, this is like you know the way Scotch whiskey has kind of been marketed for years and the way it's been produced. You know, it was really something new, and that was really. For me, I think the first time I was really conscious or more conscious of bourbon as a product, and I think just that level of pride being you know from Kentucky and being around bourbon my whole life really started to swell with that realization. So I think that was really a turning point for me. Mm.
1: So Brent Elliott's Gateway Bourbon was mob, mob- deep. Mob- deep. <laughs> right. so, hey, we'll 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 let you in on that later, Brent, Yeah, but.
2: yeah, we kind of we kind of take those titles and run with them. But just, we we like to call that mob deep.
1: Yeah, yeah. We got we gotta come up with a name for four roses.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, nah, nah, I think four roses is it. Four, stac- four <laughs> No, you, can't do, four you can't do that. You can't you can't just lay down that champ like that. That's funny. So so um the second question we like to ask as we move on through. Uh, being a being an industry insider of course and he's sitting on a dope portfolio so this might not even be a fair question right maybe not yeah so if if nobody from Four Roses is listening to this right now and you're out there looking for that one bottle like that Four Roses selected we can't get um, (laughs) what would be the one bottle you would try to get your hands on
3: oh that's yeah, it is, <laughs> and, and it, it's strange. And I am not really a huge collector. I love trying different bourbons, and I I seek out any opportunity to try different bourbons when I can. But I don't really go out and search or hunt for for these rare bottles too much. And I, of course, collect Four Roses, you know, all the limited editions, and try to yes. you know, keep some private selection stock for myself and for guests
1: and for black and brown. Yeah, there you go.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, friends and family. Right. <laughs> there I go. I, honestly, I know it's kind of a non answer, but um, I, there's not really like a unicorn that I'm missing or, or searching for. But I'm always, I always love trying new expressions, um, especially I enjoy trying different dusties from different eras.
1: Right. Mm. Oh, I like and that. And
3: trying to figure out, you know, was it different back then or is it
1: the age in the bottle that's changed it? And I still don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, have you come up with an answer, but what what is what is no. what do you think though? Like what is your hypothesis? Oh, because I've had it. some I've we've had some vintage bourbons. Yeah, right? and I was and, just gonna
2: say we should put him in touch with our guy, Keith Barnes, out on the West Coast. Yeah. He's got like
1: he said, he's got a gang of dusties. Gang of Dusty. Gang of Dusty's. But there is like this extra funk in the bottle. Oh, it's so good. that I love. Oh man. So do you think that funk I I don't I don't know if that's a thing, but do you think that comes from the time in the bottle or just, you know, different process? Ancient uh, yeast or something. I
3: think there's certain bottles, there's certain bottles where especially bottles with quartz where I think they get some of that earthy uh flavor over time where they, they evaporate a little bit and some of the flavors get concentrated. But you know, I've tasted bottles that were, you know, old bottles that had that funk. But I've also tasted some older bottles—not not any super old bottles, but like late sixties, early seventies—that could pass for modern whiskey. Mm. Which does kind of tell me that the age in the bottle, they're sitting in the bottle, doesn't really change that much. It really could have been that that flavor originally was considerably different than what it is today, and. You, know, you taste them They're to me I mean, some of those like vintage or very old bourbons I can enjoy. Some of them for me, that, that, um, cloying sweetness on the front, you know, that there's not a really, there's not a great way to describe it, but that, um, somewhat, I mean, it's almost creamy, buttery, sweet flavor that you get on the front end. Wow, I see that in a lot of the very old bourbons and I'm not crazy about that flavor, but I can appreciate it, right. just because you don't see it too much in modern whiskey. But I, I see it a lot in some of the older bottlings.
2: Hmm. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it, it, <laughs> so, it sounds good, but I don't know if I've yeah. ever experienced like you know, a, creamy, buttery. Have we, yeah, I mean, hmm. I mean, even that cream of Kentucky we had. I don't know if that was like creamy, that was really creamy, creamy sweet butter. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I'm all in on that. <laughs> yeah. well, that <laughs> dope.
1: That's
2: I dope. just need an ear of corn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <right? laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So I guess the final question before we move into the meat and potatoes, as my cousin likes to say. Yes, sir. Is, um, we, you know, we say bourbon. Well, of course, bourbon has a nose. Uh, it has a palate. But we at Black and Brown came up with the thing. It has an ear. So when we're drinking something, certain bourbons, it it conveys something auditory to our senses. <laughs> oh, look you know? at you, matriculate, hey, <laughs> daddy, daddy got flax. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, it puts something on our ear. You know, music, movie, what does that invoke when you're drinking that friends and family select you have stashed away, what does that bring to mind for you?
3: Uh, for, you know, I love music and I, I enjoy drinking bourbon with all sorts of styles of music. But I would say if I had to, now I don't necessarily really listen to classical music. I appreciate it. Ooh. But if I, if I had to equate bourbon with a certain style of music, that would probably be the closest I could get to. Just because when I think of bourbon and when I think of classical music, I think of Layers of, you know, intertwining complexity and, you know, you've got the beginning, middle and the end, It's kind of like that, that dramatic, you know, intro, chorus, verse, and, you know, different layers of different instruments that, you know, come in and come in and fade out. Wow. Now that's probably if I had to personify wow. or musicify bourbon, that would probably be where I'd go <laughs> i go with that. that. But you know, when I, when I drink it, I... I don't sit back and put on some Mozart
1: and <laughs> 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 yeah, I was gonna ask. Let's get let's this bars. We'll give Miss Bars. Bro. We'll give him bars.
2: That was that was that was deep. That, that was that was bars. That was, there. That that was, that was, was bars. That was, that was, was one bar of the worth.
1: dopest yeah. answers yeah. Yeah. that actually had relevance. Like yeah. that, that right. was that was a legit answer, Brent Elliott. Because like God. even
2: when he was going through that, all I was thinking about was like when we drink and sit around the fire. Yes. And when he was describing the music, I could just see the flames. Yeah. exactly. And I'm hearing them I'm hearing and like. Exactly.
1: Yeah, damn it! Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I, I was I was hearing Pachelbel's <laughs> Canon just now. That was dope. Yeah. Oh, look yeah. at this! I mean, guy. you know, I'm you know I'm matriculated one yeah. one, <laughs> one semester music appreciation <laughs> freshman year yeah, first semester freshman year. That's dope. So all right, uh, so hang on, we're not going to let him off the hook. Though. You're not going to get him off the hook. So so okay. you get classical music on the ear. Okay, but what are you listening to when you're drinking your bourbon?
3: Oh, yeah, my. I kind of have a wide range of music I listen to. I'd say to be very general, it's probably like somewhere between classic rock and classic country. Okay. All right. And sort of everything in between. All right.
1: Give us a song. So maybe like Leonard Skinner. What's it. your, what's your go-to?
3: Uh, you know, I like, uh, I like bands like the Wilco Jayhawks, like you know, the Beatles, Wilco Beatles, the Wilco Rolling Stones, like oh, old Willie Nelson.
1: Yeah. A UK, Haggard, you know. a UK grad who likes a band called the Jayhawks. Like, how how does that even happen?
2: <laughs> is that is that the band name Wilco Jayhawk? Uh,
3: that's two different bands. Oh, I, I was about to say. I was like, I probably I haven't, haven't listened yeah. to them in years. But okay, you know, I think some of that that kind of genre. That yeah. you know, Steve Earle. Uh, you know, there's
2: that's like country I, rock, though, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of country rock. Okay, well, right. I, I'm down for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice job. It's funny he says that. I was looking. I was watching the Leonard Skinner documentary tonight before we came to the studio. Oh no <laughs> way! So, <laughs> yeah, I was serious. was. It was kind of dope. I All right. Waiting. Sidebar. Yeah. One Sidebar. thing you learned from the doc that you didn't know. I thought they were from Alabama. They were actually from Florida, Jacksonville. No way. I didn't know that. Which is yeah, basically
1: I, Alabama. Pretty much,
2: but they <laughs> they had never left Jacksonville until they started touring. Yeah. Sorry. Shameless sidebar. Yeah.
1: So, my bad. Yeah, Northern <laughs> Florida is definitely bad. Alabama. The, the further north you go, the yeah. further south you get. <laughs> yeah. I did That's not Florida. Know that. I'll write that down. That's Florida. That's All right. right.
2: Cool. So, sidebar. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, so, Britt, you, you became Master Distiller in 2015, you said, right? Right.
3: Yes.
2: So, that was kind of daunting. I mean, what was it like... Joining that distillery under, you know, I mean, by then already, Jim was a legend.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. What, what you come that? into the office, yeah. Jim, Jim just says that he's going to retire. Right. And they give the baton to you. So how was that moment, and how did that come about?
2: How tight was your baton? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well,
3: I'll, I'll tell you, it was it was kind of funny because it was you know, some of the biggest news I've ever gotten. I was told that it wasn't going to be announced for several weeks, so I couldn't tell anyone But I remember my first, my first thought was just exhilaration. I was super excited about it because I never, I guess it was always a possibility, but I hadn't really allowed myself to even consider it because, you know, Jim, and he's still in the industry. Yeah, facts. And he didn't show any signs of, you know, slowing down or being, well, he'd always talk about retirement, but he'd been saying it for so long that no one really listened to him. <laughs> and so, and you know, it just, it just with his you know passion and longevity, you know, it's like, oh, well, Jim's never going to retire. So I didn't ever even think two steps down the road or, or anticipate anything. So first it was just shock that he was retiring. Then it was exhilaration that, and I wasn't asked. They basically told me, I guess they knew that I, my answer would be yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember thinking like I know a big part of uh, what I do and what Jim did and does is public speaking, standing in front of people, you know, large groups and, and talking for an hour, two hours. And that really has never been me. That, that sort of frightens me. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was sort of my first thought. I was like, well, can I really do that aspect of the job? It's like, well, I guess we'll find out. You know, this might be a short run, but we'll see.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, you know, that was my initial thought um, or concern, I should say. And the second one, which was a little more lingering, was exactly that. I stepped back and I'm like, "Well, look at these shoes that I have to fill." Right. And it's funny you ask that question because I've probably heard that question every other day for the first, you know, six months to a year. <laughs> after I took over because you know it was true. I mean Jim was and is an icon in the industry. And here we are, um, you know, losing Jim Rutledge. And then in pops this guy that really nobody knows. You know, I've been in the industry 10 years, um, you know, worked with some wonderful people. I've you know had the best training, but you know, nobody knows who I am. And now all of a sudden it's my name out there. It's my responsibility for what goes into the bottle. So of course there were some concerns, um, but I I was really confident, you know, in, from, you know, the people around me and the fact that, you know, if you look at the day-to-day at the distillery, there's so many people, um, so many roles that go into every aspect of production and, you know, all these people have worked there for, you you know, some of them for decades. And... So there's a lot of continuity there, a lot of understanding, a lot, a wealth of knowledge, a lot of passion from all employees. So it wasn't like, you know, Jim leaves on a Friday and I start on Monday and the right. you know, place is going to crash and burn. Yeah. You know, the worst that going happen yeah. is, you know, maybe some little hiccups and some learning opportunities. And of course there have been some of those, but um, you know, with the support system with all the, all the workers at the distillery, at the bottling facility and the warehouses, you know, there's a lot of knowledge, and so that's there's a lot of team effort that goes into it. Well, mm. it's all team effort.
0: So you wouldn't air a parent then, right? You were, I mean, so they weren't grooming you to take his place at at one point. It was just, you know, you you said it was kind of like a surprise,
3: right? Or, yeah, it was. Okay, I think it surprised. I think it surprised everyone. Um, you know, I think you know we we're developing as a company, we're growing, and in in many ways, you know, with with staff, with, um, you know, building internal resources, building facilities, trying to maintain, you know, keep up with the demand. But even with something so simple as like, like a succession plan, we were always, and we still are, it's like we're always just trying to catch up and stay busy. We never really sat down and said, okay, let's, let's look at, you know, the risks of the future. Let's think about a succession plan. Or there was never any of that. It was, More like, you know, just one day Jim said he's going to retire. And then I think, you know, he had some input, um, I'm sure a lot of input and, you know, the other leaders of the company, I guess, came together, the president and they're like, well, let's go with this guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I
1: love it. I was just going to ask, so. Last Jim Rutledge question, unless these guys have, like, is there, is there one thing that you can point to that you learned under your tutelage with him that has helped you in this new role?
3: Uh, you know, probably, you know, there are many, many things, obviously, uh, probably the most important or the thing left, the one thing that left the strongest impression was how he would, um, treat people like how he would take, any amount of time out of his day for, you know, one individual, if he just bumped into someone on the grounds of the distillery for, or if I was out traveling with them and people had questions and just the amount of time he would take to basically just answer questions, spend time with people that want to know more about wow. him or, or four roses or bourbon in general. And it was by witnessing that I could see what an impact, you know, that would have on people because it's just, you know, and I'm in a position now it's free knowledge. It's like, something to be so important to someone that you know has no idea about it. Now all I have to do is open my mouth and, and talk about it for a few minutes. And to me, it's like, Oh, well, this is complex what I do every day, but it can be really fascinating or enlightening for someone that is, you know, miles away from the process or, or Kentucky or, or bourbon. And just understanding that, because when you're in the middle of it, you kind of lose sight of it, or you, you could, you know, something that you do every day, but it's, yeah, you know, it's nice to see that. And I, I try to do the same thing and keep, you know, um, keep that idea fresh and realize that not everyone sees this. And, and all these little aspects, these things that I take for granted, can be very special to others. Yeah, that's
2: true. That's real dope. I mean, like you know, he took
1: time with us. right? Yeah, I'm about to that's say, speaking of there. yeah, yeah, you know,
0: you know, speaking of impact, because you know, whenever we were there and you gave us a tour around, you know, the facility. And uh, you got to talking about the yeast and all the different port, you know, in the yeast strands and all the different flavors that they got, and, and, and you know that whole process just mesmerized you know, you know mesmerized me. So can you kind of go <laughs> into that a little it. bit of it, you know, I'm, you know, because about all the different flavors and stuff and how the combinations you did, I love that stuff.
3: Oh yeah, that's um, that's something we're very proud of. Uh, you know, really, one of the things that makes us very unique, and you know, we always talk about our bourbons, you know, being smooth and mellow and different from bottle to bottle. But we love it when people ask or if they want to know more, because the way we do that is all of our bourbons taste remarkably different, whether it's single barrel, small batch, small batch select, or four rows of bourbon.
1: And that's because each one of
3: those is made with different recipes. And these recipes are essentially different bourbons that we produce. We produce 10 different bourbons and they're all Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey um, but they're a combination of two different mash bills and five different yeast strains. And the mash bills are important. They impart a lot of different flavor because they have different proportions of the corn, rye, and the malted barley. So we have one very high rye mash bill, it's 35% rye. Um, the other one's still relatively high, it's 20%. And then on either one of those two bases, we will ferment with one of these five different yeast strains. And each one of these strains produces different flavors we got one that's very fruity, one's kind of delicate and fruity, one's spicy, one that's herbal, kind of minty, and one that's uh, kind of floral, kind of candied. So when you had those two mash bills and those five yeast strains, you have those 10 recipes and that's what we produce. And we produce and age all those independent of each other. And then once they're matured, um, depending on you know what level of maturity we're expecting for what product it's gonna go into, we pull those barrels, and then we bring them together in different combinations, different percentages, so that all our products have unique flavor profiles. Mm. And then we also offer like the private barrel program, we offer individual recipes as single barrels. And that's just been phenomenal. People love that. Exactly. You know, I can talk about it all day long, but if I'm saying, uh, you know, an OESQ is so great because you get that little bit, a little hint kind of sweetness from the corn you get that floral nose and that candied palate and the OBSK is great because you get all that spice from the rye and you get that nutmeg and cinnamon and the baking spice from the K. That's great and it's interesting, but if you can actually take two samples and taste those side by side, which is essentially what you can do when you look for those um, private selections, you know, it really helps to drive that message home when you can taste
2: what I'm talking about. Wow, Mm, Barth. Sound like you need a job before roses.
1: So, so, ju- <laughs> so, just so you know, we are drinking right now a Four Roses single barrel, single OBSV. Yep. That apparently you picked, or it was like your deal. Because I came to the distillery for the first time. What was that? March of twenty twenty. Yeah, just March? before,
0: yeah, just before, right before the, ho- COVID. the whole the whole world locked,
1: yeah, for the <laughs> just for yeah. the germs hit. And yeah. so my buddy was like, "Brent Elliott, just pick this OBSV, you got to go get it." So I came to your visitor center and got this OBSV in March of 2020. So we are we just cracked it tonight for the first time to celebrate you. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? So what can you tell us about this OBSV? Like, how is this different? I know it's fruity and delicate. I don't know what delicate means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. No. It's like when you try to hit that putt at North stones greens and it rolls by. <laughs> yeah. That's delicate. should have been more delicate. <laughs> yeah. So tell, tell us more about the OBSV. Tell, what does that, what does that even mean?
3: Okay. That's, that's the recipe we make the most of that goes. It's the single barrel, the 100 proof single barrel. It is a big component, in small batch select. It's a, in a four rows of bourbon at a, Pretty good percentage, uh, so it's one of the like the foundation recipes that we use. Nice, and there's a good reason for that. It's balanced. Yeah, it's the one that has 35% rye, yeah, and that's the V, and that's the V strain that is more of the delicate fruits. Like for me, I get a lot of apricot, um, you know, hints of green apple, pear. Whereas the other yeast strain, the O, which is in small batches, more like red ripened fruits, berries you know, red, ripe, um, ripe, red apple. Um, So this is just a nice balance between that, that spiciness you get from the rye, that delicate fruit. Mm. And then these are typically about seven and a half. They're seven to eight years old or seven or eight years old. Um, Typically they're about seven and a half. And at that age, I think everything just comes together for that recipe perfectly. The right amount of oak, vanilla, caramel. Awesome.
1: Mm. All right. So can I tell y'all what I get on the ear on this? Yes, sir. If you have to. I have put no chemicals. Nothing but juices and berries. <laughs> so Brent, we'll, Michael, we'll explain it's now. To and a <laughs> nice and neat. <laughs> Just make it nice and neat. <laughs> yeah, I love it, Brent. So nice, nice job with that. <laughs> That's dope. That's dope.
2: So what do you like it? With him talking about the visitor center when he was there in 2020, we understand you guys have done some renovations there.
3: Yeah. And then some, um, so in, you know, the visitor center you guys saw when you visited that one, um, was renovated, but it used to be office space okay. and we gutted it and to make a bigger visitor center. We did that in 2012 and now we've outgrown that space. So, uh, beginning about a year ago, we started this new project to build a totally new visitor center. And it's, just on the backside of the parking lot across from the old visitor center. And this one is, it's going to be amazing. We're going to open it up next week. It's over 14,000 square feet, has four tasting rooms, wow. has a, a cocktail bar, tasting bar. We can taste, you know, some vintage four roses or, I mean, not vintage, but like past, recent past releases, like limited editions, nice. uh, private selections. Um, we've got an archive room. It's, it's really just going to be. It's going to enhance the visitor experience. We, much more space. We can essentially double the number of visitors that come through, oh. and yeah, it's going to be. Fantastic. So it gives you guys a reason to come back.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah, Fantastic. I was just getting ready to say, I, that marketing budget's got to be fire. They could probably fly three podcast guys up to do a live podcast right there <laughs> I when, mean, they, I would when they cut that ribbon. You know what I mean? I mean For I sure. Mean, the, yeah. the, live,
1: the live brick is going I'll, up. I'll wear so, my Four Roses shirt. I'll wear, I'll wear his Four Roses shirt. It'll be speak, a little on me. <laughs> by the way, speaking of Four Roses, so have you guys ever read like how Four Roses got its name? I did. Have did you, you read that? No, I have not read yep. that. I mean, I, I've never. I mean, as far as backstories go, mm-hmm. for the name of a bourbon, yeah, that might be my favorite. Right. All, all I
2: need to know from Brent is one: if it's true, if and it's two: true. if Paul closed that deal. That's all I need to know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my here's my answer to that. It's the legend of Four Roses. Okay, (laughs) okay. as a legend, legend, it's one hundred percent true.
2: Okay, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Paul closed it out. (laughs) That is awesome. awesome. (laughs) That's funny. So
3: seriously, it um, that that story. So it was. We were founded by Paul Jones Jr. mm -hmm. And it's it could have been attributed to him and his his uh, lovely Southern Belle. But there is also speculation that it was actually his. Nephew who was basically his right hand man and took over the company for him, okay. Roy Jones. But Jones? we know,
2: for, <laughs> oh no, yeah, saying. Paul Jones. <laughs> <laughs> no, no <I'm> stupid. <laughs> oh, sorry, Brett. Go
3: ahead. It could have been. It could also have been his nephew, but you know that was 150 years ago. So it's been oh, wow, or nearly 150 years ago. So the records are kind of sparse, and there have been some claims that it could have actually been his nephew, Lawrence Lavelle Jones, and his passion for his wife. But so, you know, it's, we don't have like, you know, notarized um, historical hey. <laughs> documentation that says, so, you know, it's, it's a story and, and we're pretty sure that it's either him or if not, we know it's either him or his nephew. Yeah. That the story could be attributed
1: to. So it's a great story. And never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? That's right. I mean, that is the first rule of market. <laughs> That's right. Ever. Exactly. So. we're gonna write this how we write it. Exactly. 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 So, um, so Brett, I, I do have a couple other questions for us. So when you when you think about um, you know, what Jim taught you, is it's interesting to me that the the one thing like all this bourbon knowledge and distilling knowledge that he probably passed on, the one thing that he taught you was, or that you took away, was how to treat people and and that whole interaction. And I got to say, when we were there for the Black Bourbon Run, which was amazing. Amazing. Fire. Like, Brent Elliott... Took us on the tour right. of the distillery. Yes, talked to, with us the entire time the like we were time. family. I think yes. my words were like, "Yo, that's a dude from Neat." Right, <laughs> right, <exactly>. right. <laughs> I mean, he's talking to us the entire time, yeah. and then we get to do a private tasting with you. Yeah, fire. Right, and and then we go into the into the visitor center, and you give us all bottles, and you personally sit there and sign them all for us. So, I mean, is that, so I, I know that that wasn't who you were or who you thought you were at the time, but now it seems like you've grown comfortable with that. Cause that, that would, that surprises me that, that that's not who you thought you were. So is that something that you enjoy now?
3: Oh yeah. And you know, that part of it, I always enjoyed that part. Um, so don't miss our I just didn't like the idea of standing in front of 300 people and talking. Uh, I got <laughs> you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, Face to face interaction. Mm-hmm. I've always
2: loved that. And I've really been fortunate enough
3: to be involved in that almost since day one. Uh, because up until probably five years ago, my office was the sensory lab. Uh. And we were, we always had um, when I was, just working the lab. But when I was, you know, assistant manager, or manager of quality, just because it happened to be my home away from home, whenever people would come VIPs or guests, I would always be the one to entertain them. And I've always loved that. Mm. And so when I say I'd pitch in and kind of develop, that was really a, a big part of what I did and sort of how I sort of stepped into this role. And so I've always loved that. i never had any problem talking about and I, it turns out standing in front of people and talking, I don't mind at all when it's something that I I know a lot about and, yeah. and care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I was just thinking about you know speech class in, in college or something <laughs> where I was trying to wing it and you know <laughs> knew I was <laughs> hated it. You know, yeah. That's a totally different story. I don't mind I don't mind it at all now. Um, but I I absolutely love hosting people, getting to know people, sharing you know, the facility, sharing drinks. Sharing samples, now,
2: that part I—it's one of the best parts of my job. Wow, yeah, it's nice. dope. I mean, a lot of a lot of people say that you know in the industry they're they love what they do. They're making bourbon, and I guess the kind of rough part for them, being who they are, is dealing with the people. You know, having to to go out there and interact. But with that respecting what you're saying, so the fame, the fame part for you, has that changed you at all, or are you kind of used to? I, I guess the admiration you get when when average people run up on you and know who you
1: are.
3: Um, you know, honestly, I don't see that.
1: Um, <laughs> Yo, I feel like I feel like Kentucky bourbon industry has a lot of reluctant rock stars. Yeah. like, like it's, all it's all these guys are yeah. rock stars. Yeah, Nobody because, wants to admit it. Right, now. right, right. Nobody right. does.
2: You know?
0: because you know, whenever I first saw Neat and I saw the way you broke down what bourbon is. And you know that was my first lesson, and you know what makes bourbon bourbon. Mm-hmm. You know the ABCs of bourbon. Can you know how you kind of went through that? So that was kind of you know eye opening for me. So that was a very good lesson that you taught. You know doing that special. Yep. Um, so how'd you? I mean, how'd you become a part of that that uh, documentary?
3: <laughs> That's actually a pretty funny story. Um, I was I was doing an event in Lexington, and I met this guy. His name was AJ. He's one of the producers, and he just came up and we were talking. And he's like, you know, I've got this Burden documentary that um, we're finishing up right now. It's basically in the editing room. And it's really cool. And he gave me his card. And he's like, you ought to check out the trailer. I was like, oh, that's that's fantastic. You know, <laughs> super nice guy. I think he was a music composer and he did the music for it and he, he was producing it. And um, that night I got home and I looked at the website on his card and I checked out the trailer for this documentary and it was incredible. It's probably the same trail. You guys have probably seen where they had like a drone that was going over the rivers yeah. and yep. warehouses like so well done. Great music. Just the trailer, trailers like gave you chills, all this energy. Right. And, and the next day I called him up and I was like, look, <laughs> I was like, I know you guys are pretty much finished with this film, but if there's anything that you need, if there's any bit of footage that you could possibly fit in, we would love to be a part of this. We will do anything, you know, to to host you to you know whatever. Nice. You know, Fort Rose would love to be included in this project. And just a short time after that, he called or emailed—I I can't remember—but he reached back out. He said, "You know what? We do need some more footage of um, fermentation and distillation." I was like, "Just just tell me when. Right. We'll be happy to host you. Bring the crew out." And that's exactly what happened. So they came out, um, we filmed, had a great time. was a great group of people, very professional. Right. Um, and they were all bourbon aficionados and and uh, talented filmmakers. So, so it was a dope. lot of fun. Yeah. And so it was really lucky. It was really just, if I hadn't seen that trailer, like I'd, I'd stop short of saying I begged, but I may have... <laughs> It was it was right next to begging when I when I reached back out to him because right. <laughs> I could tell it was gonna be a great documentary
1: yeah.
3: and I thought Four Roses deserved to have a spot in the yeah. movie so I'm really glad That we made it
1: yeah Heck yeah of so um
0: that. so does that corn guy still works for you the the guy that um he when whenever the corn comes in and he can kind of tell like what corn is is it you know the <laughs> he snips the yeah, he corn it, yeah. <laughs> is that guy still there he sure does yeah Brian yeah, he's
3: still there. <laughs> His nose is just as good as ever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so when we talk about, when we talk about the bourbon industry and where Four Roses is positioned right now, you know, near the top of the brands, really, um, where do you see the industry being in like 25 years? If, if you can envision that.
3: That's a great question. Um,
2: feel dark. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that's, And really that's a million dollar question, especially, you know, everyone's putting money into expanding their production facilities, the visitors experiences. So everyone is looking for signs of any kind of slowing in the the growing trend. And so far we're not seeing any, but I was kind of joking. At some point it's got to taper off because we're going to run out of people. You know, we keep adding at such a fast rate, you know, more and more people entering the category. You know, we're going to have a point where, okay, once everybody drinks bourbon, it's going to be a big volume, but it's going to sort of plateau. Um, So I don't know where it's going to go, but I can tell you, this is not one of those products that's like flavor of the month. It it might have sort of a slow revolution, like generational ebb and flow, but it's not like um, blueberry vodka this month. (laughs) <laughs> Next month it's something else, you know. Banana. It's not. It's not like that. It's. I think the people that are brought into the category. It's really. It's eye opening. It's like wow, this is fantastic. People and you guys, everyone that I know that I talk to that are experiencing or enjoying bourbon now. It's a pretty like heart or deeply felt appreciation of it. Right. It's not like any of us are going to wake up tomorrow and be like, nah, it turns out I don't like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, not tomorrow. I mean, I've had some no. mornings where I woke up and said, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But I didn't say I didn't like I didn't it. Lie- yeah, yeah. But that was all in Mexico.
3: I didn't say it's Saturday morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole
0: process and the, you know, the, the, the process of making it and the years you have to wait, you know, yeah. you put your product in a barrel and you have to sit and wait and just the whole science of it,
1: man. I mean, this is just incredible. Yeah. And I, I guess to piggyback on his question, 20, fast forward, 25 years, where do we see the industry? W- what would you say in 25 years you want Brent Elliott's legacy to be?
3: Uh, I think if I could just continue making you know, the same quality Four Roses that you know, has gotten us to where we are today. I consider that a success. Yeah, I I don't have any desires to have like a, a Brent Elliott bourbon that's, <laughs> I know we did Elliott's like my face on the side, but that really wasn't my idea.
2: <laughs> Marketing people. <laughs>
3: really, I just, I think I'm happiest when I'm just sort of satisfied with knowing that I've done a good job and I'm doing my best. And I think if I can continue to do that, and the measure for me is what's in the bottle. If we can continue to you know, maintain and, you know, hopefully, you know, try some new variations you know, new products, you know, in 25 years, I'm sure we'll probably do a few others. Um, I'd be satisfied with that, That, that that's to me it. would be a huge success. That's dope.
2: Yep. That's dope. Super dope. Hopefully when we come back to Four Roses, um, we can sit down and do a live question and answer and tasting with you, man. Maybe we can get to uh you know, a tour through some of those honey barrels, you know, that are in the Rick house. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, that would be dope.
3: <laughs> hey, anytime, anytime. We
2: we'll appreciate it, Brent, man. Thanks for taking some time out coming on the podcast. Yeah, man, man it's, it's good catching up with you. Hey, my time.
3: pleasure, guys. Good seeing you all again. And yeah. seriously, anytime you guys uh, have the opportunity to come on out, and you have a reason to now. We have several reasons, the Honey Barrels and Sit Down and the New visitor Center. So, yes, Hey, dope. man,
2: I don't know how things are in Kentucky in North Carolina. We just made a pact and it's recorded. That's a contract. <laughs> that's a contract. Yeah. That's, a contract. <laughs> that's dope. All
1: right, man. Thanks for coming through, man. Thank you. Chill. Yo, this was so dope. Brent Elliott, thanks for coming through, man. To the black and brown listeners, remember two things. Stay black and keep it brown.